Hello and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wildbo's most homegrown work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are here to talk about Shaking Hands 9.2, 9.3 and Path Practicalities. Um, let's dive right in with Shaking Hands 9.2. Uh, we're in Verona's head, um, but for, for both of these chapters, it's really reflections on the relationships with these new others and uh, how to befriend them, I suppose. <laughs> Verona starts that trend with kind of thinking about how all of these others seem to hate her and the trio and, you know, what can we do to solve that problem? Yeah, it's like a fantastically Verona way to kick it off because it's sort of like, oh man, all these literal monsters don't like me and might want to kill me. Mm. But at least I'm not mowing the lawn or doing laundry. Yeah, was, I can fix this problem. It was pretty funny. Immediately bring up the dad comparison and start uh, comparing things to a dad, and that will be something that we hit a little bit again later. Um, actually, no, it happens almost immediately where Ken, uh, we Verona thinks about how Ken reminds her of her dad. But yeah, it, it's good for her to 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 think. Okay. The dad stuff, that's really horrible and annoying, but let's start solving this other, other problem. So, uh, I'm going to push back a little bit on it being her, her, her dad that she compares this stuff to, because it's like she, she does mention her, her dad specifically in terms of like, oh, you know, having to deal with his underwear in the laundry or having to fold his shirts in the right way or, or whatever. And it's like, that's, that's actually just like a normal kid complaint. Like I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah fair enough. Like, like you know, that's that's not her dad being a dick specifically. Um, I think it, you know most kids whinge about that stuff. It was more like, like I, I've I've I had less of a focus on her dad being a part of it. More, it's just like again, it's that Verona hates regular life sort of beat. Mm. Yeah, true. That's that's fair. Um, her her dad does come up when thinking about Ken though, which yeah. is interesting because, um, you know, we kind of had, when we first heard about Ken, we had Lucy's response being, well, that's shit. And <laughs> Verona and Avery kind of were, were supporting her on that, but, but didn't express their own kind of opinion. But we're seeing here, like Ken really does kind of represent or demonstrate all the worst parts about Ken at each of these three Kenneteers. And I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how their relationship goes considering they are these like sworn protectors of Kenneth, right? Like they have to have a relationship with Ken. And so ha- having the, their initial relationship be tainted by effectively reminding them of the things that they hate about society in general mm. is a really interesting beat to start from. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, as you said, that's the really fun thing about Ken is you can totally gauge where you're at based on how you, how he treats you. And mm. honestly, I imagine there's a thing where if you're shitty to Ken, then the town would just get a bit harsher towards you. Um, <laughs> yes, it's interesting. I mean, some of this stuff starts coming up. The idea of a town spirit where he is kind of representative of the town and things that happen to the town happen to him and vice versa. It is very interesting. And it's an interesting vulnerability, but also obviously an interesting strength that can be exploited, right? Yeah. yeah, And we go into that, like, in more detail uh when avery has a chat with him next chapter yeah um yeah he's such an interesting thread to follow because like ken is very bleak in a lot of ways like like as he sort of touched it the fact that the like modal person in kennet is 
like an older version of Verona's dad is a pretty fucking grim mm. way to introduce him. Um, plus, we we all, we obviously had Lucy's roast when we first met him, as you said. Um, it, so it's just kind of like we know that this whole magical world does kind of sit beneath, in some ways, the world of the innocents. Like you have big things like the Carmine stuff, which starts to affect the innocence a little bit but for the most part I, I feel like something we keep sort of hearing is innocence shaped the magical world more than a lot more than the other way around mm. and so this idea that it's like oh well, let's take the innocence which up until now I'd, I'd viewed as this sort of faceless mass of people and we'll give them an embodiment in the story like mm. you know, th- this is the face of all these people who we just genericize and it's just this yeah piece of shit guy like <laughs> Well, sort of it's like... interesting. I, I, we can get into this a bit more because Verona and, and Avery and Lucy's reactions are like he's he's a dead end kind of person, which I think is fair. He he seems to be pretty like pretty un uninspired and pretty uninspiring, but he 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 treats them fairly nicely. I don't know. He's not actively shitty. Yeah, yeah, not actively. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there, I suppose. When we yeah, in Avery's him, chapter, like, just yeah. as a. This is a concept. I was just sort of like, we, we've seen how the innocent hold way more power than they realize in this mm. story and in this world. And then just to sort of get this, here is, you know, this sort of, yeah, modal innocent person. And it's just not a very pretty picture. And it's kind of like, okay, so like, you know, while we've got all these others struggling, we've also got Ken, who's just this kind of shitty guy who's just kind of coasting. Um mm. I can't wait to sort of see where we go with him as a concept. Mm, definitely. Um, then we get into the idea of a Todd and a Barney, which is such a fun thing to hear. <laughs> we kind of found out about this and I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. But the way Toad Swallow describes it, like it is it is effectively the stuff of legends for both the human <laughs> and the goblin, right? And And I don't know if this is the beat that we're meant to draw from, but it really had me thinking like, you know, humans and others, when they collaborate, they are more than just the sum of their parts. They can be something really special. Yeah. No, I really like that observation. It's because especially, like, I mean, obviously what Toad Sloyd describes here isn't ideal, but it's not that bad. Mm. I mean, like, shutting down international drug cartels, I can get behind that. Yeah. Um, it's like, like the... a step away from becoming, like, a hero, like a like a kind of heroic ideal, right? Yeah, like I can look at this and think, oh yeah, you, you could make a version of this that I can get behind. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I really like that because I, I feel like that is so much of what this story has been talking about is that like if everyone just fucking works together and isn't shitheads, things mm. go a lot better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- the other thing I took away from the Todd and Barney stuff is the vibe that I'm getting from the others is that I don't feel like any of them are in a huge rush to fix this situation. Mm. Um, like Blunt sort of casually comments on how the this cratering effect of all trouble coming to Kennet um, is like, oh, that means that Barney's might actually work in this town. And then whenever they actually try to talk about fixing the barrier or anything like there's a point where matt casually sort of brings up oh yeah the carmine stuff is going to start to affect innocence individually soon Mm. and then they always they always sort of find an excuse to brush it away and it got wait because i I think it was in 9.1 that we we had alpi or crooked rook of higher alpi uh start to say like yeah the culprits 
want things like this. Mm. And like looking around this meeting here, I can uh, you start to be like, okay, I can see that. Like this group of goblins who want who want their Barney, they're probably not looking to fix Kennet and put it back out. Was mm. yeah, it's an interesting thought. But do we think that this is indicating then that the goblins are behind it, or do we think that there is more? There's a this is just a kind of example of why an other might not want it to go back, and there's going to be more stuff like this coming up soon. Yeah, well, it's just like, based on this, I wouldn't be shocked if those goblins took the side of the culprits when when the culprits unmasked themselves, mm. you know, and are sort of like, we're going to leave things like this. These mm. goblins taking their side, I'd be like, well, okay, no, I can see their logic behind that. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah. And, you know, because a lot of these others came here because of the cratering. So, of course, they're the sorts of people who are more likely to thrive in environments like this. So they're more likely to be the kinds who, yeah, are yeah, okay true. with the status quo. I guess if they came here because of the catering, why would they not just want the catering to be the, the status quo? Yeah, I mean, some like Nibble and Chloe, I think Nibble would be stoked to get back to the old Kennet. So it's, it's, it's not like, it's like everyone, but it's just, you know, it's better odds that the people who are, yeah. you know, affiliated with the cratering and the Carmine chaos are more mm. likely to be the sorts who are okay with leaving it like that. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, also, th- th- like, you know, this comes up a bunch in, in the last chapter and, and these two chapters as well. I feel like we're setting up the, the bads of this arc to be this fucking band of mysterious others who nobody can seem to get a bead on. And I can't wait to see this unfold. Because do, do you have any idea what they could be? I really don't. Like, right? I'm trying to think, is there some group of others that we've met that could pose a threat like this that it, that would have a good payoff? Or is there, like, you know, could it be like, oh, it's some fairy that, that we bumped into or something? But I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. The pig dog man, maybe, or, like, I don't know. Well, they, they, they're human passing. That's basically the only thing we know about them, is that Yes. It, well, the assumption is that since they haven't been detected, they must be able to pass as human. Yeah, which presumably means they're, they're, they're intentional, like they're, they're kind of intentionally hiding out as humans, I would say, right? Which yeah, kind of like, puts Faye as, as a pretty good guess. Yeah, I mean, I, like, the other interesting thing is, is I, I feel like I'd have to go and recheck the details. I should have che- rechecked this before coming here with this theory, but I think they said that these others, uh, they've been detecting them since Ken, like, showed up. And there was, like, this assumption that, oh, they got here while we were all away yeah. making Ken. But what if they've just been here for, like, two For the months? whole time. Like, you know? Uh, yeah, what if Ferner's dad has actually been an other this entire time? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I was, I was surprised you didn't pitch Booker and Alyssa um, before. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it's someone being possessed or something. Like, they are people. They're more like Edith. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. Interesting. I can't wait for this. Like they've, they've set them up. I'm fully on board for these people for their thing to bubble up and explode. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> it's exciting. I mean, we're getting towards the state where things are all going to start popping off, right? Yep. Um. So yeah, uh, the this conversation uh, between the the gang moves on to just kind of getting a general picture of how Kenneth is doing as a whole. The barrier seems to be in shambles, as expected, but the town is kind of just about holding itself together. 
Yeah, and I made a little summary of the things of the barrier because at least for me, it it didn't click the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so there's three parts to the barrier. There's making Kennet inhospitable to intruders, the part where it just works as a straight up barrier and keeps them out, and then there's that like alarm slash distraction system. So there's one system that kind of tells the right people when someone comes in and also does its best to make them not pay attention to the right stuff. Yep. And basically only one of these is working. <laughs> the part that makes it inhospitable to intruders um, is the only part that is, st- st- is still working as it should, um, ex- with the added caveat that whenever they put Monty in, it does it differently. Yeah, kind of better but more violently, right? Yeah, or there are certain types of practices that become enhanced yes, rather than true. dampened. Yeah. Um but yeah, but like things like the the actual straight up barrier part is down and they talk about bringing it back, but it sounds like it's just not going to happen at the moment. Well, I mean, yeah, it effectively sounds like yes, this is something that could be on the table, but in brackets, not until the common be stuff, not until the yeah. story's over, you know, not until the conflicts of the story are resolved. And then the alarm slash distraction part, they actually like took more of it down because when it's not working, it like attracts people to it or something. So mm. yeah, um, it, it basically it, it was like a very detailed way of just making sure we understand that like it's not we're not fixing this. The barrier's gone. Yeah. Um, like Kennet was this nice little gated community for others, uh, and it's just not that anymore. Yeah. <sighs> We need Miss back, huh? Oh, I mean, yeah, well, maybe Avery will get on that soon. Um, I also, I mean, I guess I'm jumping ahead a bit, but um, there's this part where Nibble sort of summarizes what's going on with the other others that I wanted to talk about, because obviously they're a big theme for Verona, at least, is is how much the new others don't sort of trust them. Mm -hmm. And Nibble summarizes it so well at the end where he sort of talks about how the new others, they never experienced Kennet as it was. Mm. Like the the Kennet others, who, or the the OG Kennet others who awakened the trio, they'd been living in this comfortable sanctuary for a long time, and it was sort of like they had that comfort and that stability to be like willing to awaken practitioners and muddy it up a bit to solve this murder. Whereas like all these newbies, they've got terrible pasts. They haven't experienced that stability ever. They're being told, oh, yeah, it can totes happen. Um, mm. but they're not seeing it. So, yeah. of course, when practitioners come into the mix, like there's not that inherent, oh, these three will try to help us make it better because they haven't seen that better. Yeah, if they don't have the picture of what it used to be like, it's hard to kind of take at face value that the Kenneteers are, you know, on the right team with it. Especially, and because the Kenneteers came after the Carmine Beast was murdered, which is like when it all started to go downhill. So yeah. like you can see how if you zoom out away from our uh, like protagonist bias, mm. them joining the town is kind of synonymous with it all going to shit. Mm. Yeah. But um but yeah, like in the meeting here, Lucy has this comment where she says, We're the practitioners of Kennet and I hope we'll be serving you guys in some way for a good long time. Mm. And I like that that to me was the moment where I was like, come on, everybody listen to that. We can like, all work together and be friends. Yeah, what she's saying, serving you guys. Because, I, like, I feel like it's been set up, like, like, over and over that, like, practitioners were kind of set up to, like, punt or, yeah, police others and, and protect the innocents or whatever. Mm. And this is Lucy sort of framing it as, like, oh, no, like, you are citizens here as well and we should be serving yeah. you as well. And it was yeah. like, that's, 
but yeah, that's the difference. That's the bit I wanted all the other others to latch onto. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a different mindset, but you know, it's hard to overcome. Um, it's hard to overcome the uh, the years, decades, centuries of you know other subjugation at the hands of practitioners. I suppose. Yeah, which yeah, I mean, fair, fair, fair enough. enough. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, Montague is interesting here to me because it this chapter really reaffirmed to me how much he seems to be the only thing that is like holding what remains of the barrier together, right? Mm. Like without Montague, it seems like this inhospitable part of the barrier stuff would just fall apart and they would just have nothing, right? Um, Absolutely nothing. And it makes me think, makes me worry about Montague's allegiances and stuff like that when if he's the last thing that's kind of holding that together, narratively <laughs> if he goes away or is on the opposite side or whatever to our Kennedy is things are going to get uh worse much worse yeah uh, yeah i mean because you're right he's he's so interesting like he this affinity he has for um like yeah diagrams and being able to reinforce them seems mm. like massively powerful yes um and but then like yeah there's, there's other moments like uh he he offers the Kenneteers like the gifts like he's the one who brings up the gifts mm. and like ken's reaction to this makes me think that like montague is actually just a bit of a big nerd um like i think it was montague who was like they were having trouble getting him to sign on to the town until it was like oh you can hang out with edith and tashlet and alpi and then he was like oh okay and that was like what got him to sign on yeah um so it's just, yeah i don't know i it's like it's easy when you think of like a sentient pool of blood or, or like sig the cigarette i i think i fall into the habit of ascribing them as not having much of a personality mm. but i think monty clearly has yeah like he's a bit of a goody two-shoes which is bizarre given that he turns everyone into like paranoid fruit loops when he takes over the diagram but yeah <laughs> Well, it's interesting because Sig has been explicitly described as not having a personality, right? Which, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just like the human tendency to ascribe a personality to anything, but I'm having real trouble reconciling in my head. But it, it's it's hard like, with some of these others, like particularly Monty and Sig, I'd say they're the ones where it's sort of like, they're not a whole like personality or yeah. person or whatever. They've got these bits and pieces and it's really hard to like, conceptualize monty having some aspects of a personality but maybe not others yeah yeah it's interesting um just going to point out again how great goblins are um they're hilarious they get a lot of hilarious beats in this chapter as they do in every (laughs) chapter that they're in they're by far the best kind of other and i love them yeah there's some great moments they're always the funniest to me when they feel like a fucking like group a class of kindergartners yeah you're just trying to herd like this bit where they're all asking questions or not asking questions i love the moment where voice is like oh yeah one of them's like i heard you bet america ted it's like well that's not a question mm-hmm. um yes we did <laughs> oh goblins um so yeah uh the kindergartners have a chance to ask questions but nobody really gets to the meat of any of these matters it's all just kind of minor questions and setting up minor things yeah, I mean, there's still massive distrust of them as practitioners, as we sort of talked about. Um, but it's just good. I like just as an aside for this whole meeting scene, it's so good just seeing everyone interact. Like not just our newbies, but we get like cutaway moments where like Marissa is chuckling in the background, 
and Verona has a, oh yeah, I did that uh, moment when she thinks back to dodging the murder investigation. Mm. It's just fun seeing uh, everyone in this room together. Yeah, seeing everybody come together at, in the, you know, like establishing who all of our pl- players in this mystery might be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Nibble asks about like, oh, how's the investigation going? And that to me, whenever anyone asks that, it's immediately suspicious, right? Of like, why are you trying to gather data about this? But uh, I don't know. I, I'm inclined to kind of think it's nothing, but maybe it is a clue. <laughs> I had the same thing, bro, because then he's like, oh, you know, I just, you know, it's not important to me. I was just asking. It's like, yeah, but is but it important is it to impo- someone else yeah. who made you ask? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I like, I like his excuse of, oh, I've just been watching a lot of, like, crime drama TV. <laughs> I mean, he's a TV watch man. Um, it's kind of hard to avoid crime dramas as well. Yeah. So maybe he is just interested in interesting plot developments, which is kind of what <laughs> Kennedy is, right? So that's a fair <laughs> excuse. Yeah. So yeah, no, I I go back and forth. It's definitely if if something comes up with Nibble later on, we'll definitely point at this. Point back to it and be uh-huh. like, "Oh, we knew it." <laughs> yeah. Um I mean the most heated things get here is when the topic of like the gifts comes up. Mhm. Um because like what what were Matthew and Edith trying to like it's so poorly handled. Like they basically yeah. bring it up as like, "Yeah, technically they all owe you gifts and you can be a dickhead and demand them." Or you could just leave them alone, you assholes. Yeah, it was a weird like, one, wasn't it? It's just like, it, I can't believe that they're that stupid that this wasn't partially intentional. Like, it just has to have been. Well, there's this other thing where, when we're talking to Nibble a bit later, where he kind of brings up that the way that finding out about the Kenneteers was, it was almost an afterthought, right? And and that's, mm. like, Matthew and Edith have really fucked up the dynamics between the new Kennet others and the Kenneteers, and it's hard not to look at that and be like, is that intentional? Yeah, I, I thought that as well, but then, it, to be fair, if you do think about, like, what the negotiation, uh, no, because no, there was no time pressure on that negotiation. You could totally brought up that, hey, the three practitioners will be back, but they're cool mm. before signing But that signing probably would have been a a, a turn off for almost all of yeah. these new Kennedies, right? For Crooked Rook, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, it's just, yeah. I, I kept being like, I don't understand what the two of you are up to. Like, how much am I mm. chalking this up to intentional sabotage because you're the villains? And how much is just incompetence? Yeah. Or just, I mean, it's, it obviously is a difficult, difficult situation, right? Oh yeah, well a they can handle everything situation. correctly. Like I'm, I'm willing to cut them some slack. Like there's a lot going on, but still, some of this stuff is just like, it oh, is come on, you pretty rough. Where that yeah, going. yeah. Um, yeah. They, they, so they do settle with all the others on like this very transactional idea for the mm-hmm. for the gifts, which reminded me a lot of like that was how Avery first connected with Jessica. Mm. Like uh, Avery was sort of like, oh, we could just do this because we're nice people, and Jessica was like, mm, no, I want the the promises and the gifts. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Like, I, I'm always a bit bummed when you have this emphasis on, like, fairness and treating things transactionally to avoid, like, yeah, to avoid being stabbed. Like, it shows this inherent distrust. So yeah. I wonder if we'll crack them like we did Jess. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming it's kind of similar. It also gives me vibes of, like, um, the interactions between Fernanda and Avery in the Faye field trip where it's like, you know, we have this thing that we kind of need to stick to the letter of the law of, so we'll just figure out a way to do that. But then that can also be a kind of wedge through which you achieve an actual 
friendship or, or camaraderie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's a good point, right? Because Fernando is sort of more than anyone else we've seen that person who views everything transactionally because she had an inherent distrust of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she sort of started to open up a bit with Avery. Um, yeah, I yeah, mean. yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The, yeah, I I do think they get to a pretty. I mean, I'm not sure where else they could get to with this transaction other than this transactional thing, right? Like, it, it is just a bit of like okay, well, we will ask for gifts from you, but once we've done something to help you out, so you can see that we're kind of on the same page here. It's a good door opener, yeah. Um, so then Avery drops something big here. She wants to kind of expand on what Kennedy is and get more practitioners into the fold. This idea is not received well. <laughs> yeah, it caught me off guard that she just decided to open with that. Like, even Verona is like, what? What? Um, yeah yeah catches you off guard it's very fun <laughs> so she just because i feel like they were just starting to earn some goodwill i know Avery's like, Avery kind of burns gonna, it a bit here yeah it's like oh we got 10 cents of goodwill cool i'm gonna cash in a million dollars yeah um i i i obviously get both sides right for for the others yeah. it is just like i mean you guys are bound to be helpful to the town what if we bring other practitioners in we're we're kind of fucking ourselves right um but the I, the thing that we've talked about many times on this show is the idea of Kennet is something that is so radically transformative and has the power to transform the way that human and other relationships work in general. That doesn't happen if it can't get outside of Kennet, right? Like if this change is going to permeate eventually, other practitioners will need to see the example of it working well in Kennet. That, that, Without that, it's just not going to happen. And so, therefore, I'm on board with Avery's idea. doesn't have to be immediately, but it does have to be eventually, right? Yeah, I agree. Like, obviously, I'm 100% on board with Avery's idea as well, but we have uh, perspectives that the others understandably don't. Yes. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, because I think that could be the... Like, this is why I, 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 I really want to get to Crooked Rock, because she's the one who's like, I've seen this sort of thing happen before. And I think way back in 5D, Miss was sort of like, oh, things like this happen all the time, but I want these three to set an interesting precedent. And so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of getting this image that like others trying to form a haven or take over a space like this has happened before and probably will happen again. And it's like, uh, is the Kenneteer secret source going to be getting that approved by the region's practitioners or something, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, and yeah, so this is why we got to get to Crooked Rook. I, I, I want more details on these other failed versions of this that she's seen. And also just to get the 411 on exactly where the fuck she's at, because she scares me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It is, I mean, it came out of nowhere for me as well, right? But it, thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? It just makes a lot of sense. Not, yeah, not just like, to mention, the Kennedy is like, we saw at the Blue Heron Institute. The Kenteers are, are so fallible when they're by themselves, right? But as soon as you connect them into this wider community that, that wants to support them and help them, you know, Nicolette, Zed, etc., it really, that it's not even like a, it's like a, a, a factor of 10 or whatever on how useful they're able to be, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean exactly. And like, but that, that's also the problem. The reason practitioners have so easily oppressed all the others is because they can work together when they want to. Mm. Um, and and just do all this shit. So it's yeah. Um, I mean, I agree. I think like I, I, you know, I'm leaning towards the idea that what Avery is suggesting is the secret source that can make this 
a more workable permanent solution that could spread um but it's a tough sell in the moment for sure mm. uh, yeah for I, sure uh, there's also an interesting technical argument brought up by mostly verona um in that the idea of bringing practitioners in kind of inherently undermines what kennet is um which is this sort of i assume like a haven away from the system like the solomon well, stuff away from practitioners. practitioners yeah um but I, I really like Verona's point about how, well, if you set up expectations that practitioners can visit if they, like, abide by the rules, like, that's even better. Like, yeah, like, just from the mechanical perspective, talking about what we've just been saying, you can sort of see how, like, yeah, let's bring in other practitioners and have them approve of and abide by the rules and it will become much more entrenched. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so can we touch on Matthew and how he's handling this because <laughs> this part of the chapter really demonstrated to me he just doesn't seem to be handling it very well it seems like as it's all wrapping up he's kind of being like oh can you guys go here you guys go there oh someone get Jabber and do this oh someone make sure this is happening someone do this blah 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 and it's just like there seems like there's a lot on his plate and it, it just no no shade Matthew but it just doesn't quite look like he's equipped to handle it <laughs> like it seems like he's a few steps away from just kind of breaking down yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, like, there's a moment in this scene where Liz transforms into a Matthew Edith Liz at one point, mm. and, like, the descriptor for her is tired and stressed. Yeah. So it's like, like, that's sort of where these two are at. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like, we've already Oof. touched on how they, there's a bunch of things where it's like, are they grossly incompetent or intentionally sabotaging? Like, that's how bad they're doing on some of these things. It's like, it has to be one of those two. It couldn't just be, oh, it's just, we don't get it um yeah it it's it does really reaffirm just how much trouble they're having right yeah yeah um <sighs> yeah i don't know i don't know uh, maybe again maybe it is just that they're involved with the murder <laughs> this is all just a great <sighs> act but I, I don't think so right <clears throat> I, I honestly i i don't know i just get the vibe and it's weird because i know this kind of contradicts it but i kind of feel like <clears throat> Even if Edith is involved, a lot of this also just is kind of incompetence. I and that doesn't make sense, but I, the vibe I really get from them is just some of this is just beyond them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, the gang goes out on patrol. That's the Kenneteers, Matthew and Edith, Nibble and Chloe. Uh, and uh, Kenneteer Trio are chatting to Nibble and Chloe to kind of get the picture from them. And it's pretty sad and grim. Yeah, although, you know, I, I, I guess before we launch into Nibble and Chloe and their, like, fucking terrible situation, mm. uh, Matthew and Edith, you know, the way they drop them off here, they they go into mum and dad mode, and this is the point where I just can't help but sort of trust them a bit, because, like, Edith is, like, telling them to be safe, and, uh, like, yeah, just has this real, like, a mum moment with them. Mm. Like, she can't, she can't be bad. She has to be, she has to be innocent. Wait, she's uh, yeah, yeah. Her, her, and Matt are so different outside of these meetings. Yeah, they're so friendly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's. I mean, we've known for a long time that it's not just going to be ah yes, I was the villain the whole time, blah blah blah, mm. right? Um, but it's 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 still hard to see how it's going to play out like that. Yeah, like like my my sort of assumption at this point is still kind of that whoever the villains are they've decided that 
like you know the seal of solomon has broken society so completely that they just need like anarchy mm. um like i i guess i'm just assuming that it's a full on anarchist uh is the villain um and and then you know we're sort of opposing that with maybe this idea of like trying to build just a better system because mm. uh, tearing it down introduces its own kind of problems yeah uh, yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, it's always a careful balance when the answer to something is we can fix the system from kind of inside the system, right? Which is a yeah, a, a complex and difficult line to walk, I think, at the best of times. Um, but no, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, ex- ex- exactly. Like that line of, yeah, because like this, this, it's so easy to be co-opted by the system if you try to fix it from the inside is the problem. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, yeah, so... You know, we, we've introduced Chloe and Nibble, and I think they're a great other to introduce into our kind of metaphor of Kenneth, right? Because they are just ghouls seem to be just the most shit on type <laughs> of other, right? Like there's just nothing. There's no positives to this. It's all just, it's just a curse. Legitimately, it's a, it's a curse. Yeah. And I mean, like, isn't there, wasn't their origin story something like, oh, death just didn't bother to collect them? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, like to, to sort of speak metaphorically, they're just others with like special needs. Yeah, the system just can't meet, and any time they try to make that work, the system sort of shits on whoever is trying to help them. Like it's mm. just, yeah, like they, yeah, they even talk about, oh, you know, there was somebody who was getting a supply, and that sort of person was giving them that supply gets arrested, so you can't even get into a comfortable situation. You can't be that vampire who, like, you know, has a friend at the blood bank because it won't last. <sighs> yes, it just seems like, and this is the attitude they come in with, like, yes, there are ways for us to get semi-regular supplies of stuff, but it will just always fade and we are always, that's always just a stopgap on our deterioration, you know? Yeah, it won't last. Yeah. Um, putting that aside, they seem quite nice, as nice as ghouls can be, you would suppose. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Nibble's definitely chill and cool. Chloe seems, I mean, great, if maybe a little unstable. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she makes the joke of, <laughs> I'm going to eat you. I mean, I'm joking, <laughs> like yeah, a bunch she, of times. She really walks that line. Um, like Even Verona, uh, who's like probably the person in this group who's most comfortable walking the line, mm-hmm. is sort of like, okay, Chloe, like, I, I feel like you're joking a little bit, but maybe not enough yeah um guys wouldn't it be so funny if i just ate your arm right now <laughs> well i mean jk 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 just kidding <laughs> lol lol <laughs> but you know how what do you am i what, what would you guys think <laughs> yeah anyway um it's it's it is fun but i mean i yeah. don't think we'll get to a scene where chloe like rips off Avery's arm and eats it or anything so i guess it is fun to have in the story <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the question is whether she will, like, have one of her bad moments at an inopportune time. Yes, like, for sure. That seems like the Chekhov gun, Chekhov's gun that Wabo is hanging on a fairly sizable arsenal at this point. Yes, yeah, he's got a, he has a lot of Chekhov's guns <laughs> ready to fire. Um, so, yeah, Nibble and Chloe head off to, to watch a movie, and the remaining group arrive. Matthew needed to demonstrate what they've wanted to talk about. A tract of land out here that could become Verona's domain. Uh, and Verona ponders the permanence of it all. Oh, yeah. Because, like, God, the idea of purchasing a house is terrifying. And I'm like, 
more than twice Verona's age. Yeah. Like, uh, the idea of committing to a domain is, yeah, like, terrifying. Yeah. Um, it's good. I guess it's good that it's better late than never on the whole, like, worrying about the permanence of committing yourselves to Kennet for the rest of your life. <laughs> I feel like this could have come a little earlier, you know, when they were doing that the first time, but it's nice to have a moment to reflect on it. Um, and it seems like Verona is finally kind of having these trains of thoughts of like, oh shit, am I going to have to be in Kennet for the rest of my life? Yeah. Well, and I really like the moment where she takes that step back and is like, before I can even think about what I want the domain to be, I need to figure out what the fuck I want to be. Mm. Like I that that really resonated with me. I really like that sort of thing. It's like if you don't have your own shit sorted, like you're not, you, you can't handle it. Um, and and yeah, like and I because I, I feel like like to to step back, like I, like this chapter is ending here, and I feel like this ending on Verona considering permanence and and change and stuff like that is that is sort of been her journey. Like uh, I think the chapter we covered nine point one, and then these these two here sort of starting like the third overarching chapter of, of the story like now we're back in Kennet and we're, we're showing how the Kennetiers have grown while they're away and Verona is like you know bef- before like, before she left she had this idea of I'm going to turn into a cat other or something and then everything will be perfect and we sort of end it with this new Verona who's come back and she's like well I mean you know things change like permanence mm-hmm. isn't even a solution because the rest of the world is going to change around you mm-hmm. and Kenneth's such a great metaphor for that because Kenneth was this haven and it isn't now and that's something we've been talking about this whole chapter and now she can sort of look over that and be like well even if i change myself into someone with a cool clubhouse who's an other forever um th- that's not going to mean that the bad problems go away yeah um which i mean we kind of I've been trying to get her to realize for a while, so it's <laughs> nice that she's starting to have these thoughts, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's even like she thinks of Bristow too. Like, there's that moment where she's like, also, even if you like fix a problem, sometimes there's consequences. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I really like this as a as a way to close like Verona's first chapter in this new part of the story, which is like you know she she's now starting to realize that she can't just fix all of her problems um, with some sort of permanent solution. Yeah, it does kind of feel up. Feel like we're starting to set up the, you know, what are the, what are the legacies that this story is going to leave us with? What are the, you know, what what's the end state that this story is going to reach? And for Verona, it's her thinking about now. Where do I want to be? What what do I want my life to be? You know, I mean, I guess that's something she's been thinking about a lot. But it's always been through the lens of becoming another. Whereas this is at least through the lens of like, what kind of place do I want to spend my life in? Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and like that's the thing. I think each of these three chapters, like the one from last week and both of these ones, check in with each Kenneteer and sort of see where they are on their personal journey. Yeah. Like we're going to talk a lot about how Avery's growing next chapter, and I, I think we touched on Lucy's last week. So yeah, it's it's really cool to sort of see these check ins as we start a new part of the story here in Canada. Like this is where I'm at now, and like yeah, this is my this is a a good checkpoint on on the journey, I suppose. Mm. yeah um yeah to, to step back a bit as well the placement of this domain is also something i wanted to talk about too because it's like matthew and edith are like oh this is a great place for you to set up your domain and it's like <clears throat> at first i was like oh that's like a really you know generous thing because it's like looking out over the town so it sets up that imagery of them being like you know like in 
Batman watching over the city, um, protecting it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the more Verona goes into it, the more I thought about it. It's like it's actually away from the town. Like it's separated by this four lane road. Um, you know, it's like this dirt path to get to it. Like it's separate from the town. It's sort of like it. I th- it's actually sending this message of you can look over the town or whatever, but you're technically not part of it. Like you, you're watchers only and you can come and visit us but you know like the domain isn't in canon yeah (sighs) yeah i don't know it's weird isn't it uh it's also just kind of like dis. you're right it's disconnected it's too disconnected to feel great and and i like verona thinking about and talking to ken next chapter about like Hey, help me find a place that might be better, like an abandoned library in the center of town or something, <laughs> which obviously is a is a, a pretty wild thing to ask for. But uh, I, I do like that Verona's thinking it can still be in Kennet. It just needs to be more me tying me into Kennet in a more tangible way. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. And I like. I mean, I just think like that. You know, that all that whole wilderness vibe just wasn't very Verona. Mm. Um. And also, yeah. Like I, I don't know if anyone's directly touched on it yet in the story but like the vibe i got from it was yeah very much it's like you can sit out and watch over us but you will be distinctly away from us Mm. uh, and not not in it and i like i I, i'm going to be watching very carefully when verona pitches a different location to matthew and uh yeah to matthew and edith of like how do they respond if she wants somewhere central in town you know Mm. yeah yeah i don't know we'll have to see i guess um it's a good question. It's a good question. These are the, uh, you know, the Verona's domain question, one that has been plaguing us for a while, and it's fun to see where that might, where that might lead. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's talk of her doing some wild things to it. Like, I can't wait to see what a Verona space looks like. I hope she does get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor, poor Jeremy will go in there one day and get swallowed up and never come out. <laughs> uh yeah sure we'll see um anyway let's move on to shaking hands 9.3 which is from Avery's perspective um Avery's looking at some illicit material on her computer uh (laughs) with her siblings desperately trying to get in she finally gets some peace and quiet and starts a zoom with zed and nico i mean right from the get-go we're back in the fucking chaos that is the kelly household Mm -hmm. in this chapter uh like Avery has her door splattered with connection blockers that are all slowly, one by one, falling. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, it's pretty fun. She's she's <laughs> desperately trying to keep the chaos of the Kelly family house out, but it's just not working at all. And I mean, I love this imagery of like, like Avery calls Zed and Nico, and, and like when the call finally starts, she's sort of like, you know, oh, this is. I just want to like maintain connections and and keep reaching out, like we got to stay in touch and maintain our connections. And it's like the whole chapter up until that point has been her fucking sticky connection blockers on the wall to make her family piss off. Like mm. this idea that she's sort of like, yeah, willing to tell her family to go to hell and give her some space. Cause she needs this other connection. Like she's now willing to sort of fight these other fuckers for the, the right to have these other connections. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's nice. She's uh She's battling more for what she thinks is right, which is great. Yeah. But just, yeah, that, that contradiction of I'm blocking my family connections so that I can open up the other ones. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty good. Mm. Um, 
some great technomancy stuff from Zed this chapter. He essentially texts Avery a cool co- connection blocking projector, which is awesome. Yeah, I almost got the impression it wasn't connection blocking as much as it was like doing some realms shit because it does it did like static on the door. It's like yeah, it's just, yeah, it's cool either way. Mm, yeah. Um. But yeah, they also um like just to start diving into the conversation Avery has with Zed Nicolette. Uh, there's brief talk on like how Musa is going as the headmaster. Um, in this way, he's like the opposite of Alexander when it comes to ambition. Like the way Zed, I think it is, phrases it as like you know, it, opportunities and power just tend to come to him, so he doesn't really go seeking them. Mm. Um, you know, he'll he'll fuck up someone who's in his path, and he tends to choose paths that fuck a lot of people over. But it's not out of some innate drive it's just kind of what he feels like doing mm. i guess is the vibe i got mm. i'm like yeah. is this better or worse than alexander do you think <laughs> yeah um yeah i don't know is it is it better or worse is a great question <laughs> I, I need Lu- i need lucy to tell me <laughs> i think better is the answer right like he's um <laughs> at least he's not actively looking for things around that he can kind of like co- co-opt to his will i don't know no i i think you're right in that he's just maintaining the shitty system whereas alexander was like constantly going out and kind of spreading it in yeah. a roundabout way yeah yeah okay okay um yeah so uh zed brings up a path that avery might be interested ed and his family from zoomtown need an assist yes and uh we'll get we we'll get into that a lot yeah, more. Yeah, it sounds uh, fun. The extra material. Sounds fun. Yeah. We'll get to it in a moment. Um, I guess it's nice just to to note this is building more connections with other finders, which I'm sure will be a great thing. Yeah, well, especially, like, my big takeaway is, like, uh, all we want at this point is, oh, it's a path that's, like, crowded with others from other paths. Mm. And I was like, well, that sounds perfect for Avery. Like, you know, miss connections and meeting people. Like, yeah, I was just immediately like, this is the ideal path for her, so I can't wait for her to work with other finders to, yeah, investigate this space that's full of others. Mm. I think she'll probably prove to be invaluable because of who she is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Nicolette has to leave, so Avery and Zed continue to catch up. Zed gives a bit of his history, and it is pretty glum. Uh, yeah. He was, uh, yeah, kicked out by his family, and it sounds like his parents are effectively... Uh, shitbags you know fergals i think is the technical term (laughs) i i almost made the same reference in my life (laughs) before realizing nobody would get it that's a game Um, club reference for those of you who are not paying attention to the game club you should check it out uh fuck fergal uh, yeah yeah fuck fergal um yeah i mean like this was hard to read it sounded eerily similar to like stories i've heard from friends just you know, with literal monsters peppered on top, because yeah. why not? It's it's the other verse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I hope Zed's sister comes out okay, and they manage to reconnect. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, there's a nice line that Zed mentions here, uh, saying all it took was support, and it's just a kind of nice reminder of like with these shitty situations, people getting caught up. I mean, shitty, shitty non-practitioner situations but also shitty practitioner situations all it takes sometimes is somebody to like look out for you and give a shit about you to really turn a person's life around right yeah um i i hate how true that is like it's just that it took 
Zed to get so much just to finally get someone who would support him like that. Like, and I mean, you know, you could kind of, like that's how the Kenneteers have fucking won half their battles. Yeah, it's like just actually just giving out a shit about people. Yeah, <laughs> try to help people. It's like that's just what this world needs more of. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I, like you know, Zed didn't get it from his parents. I, he has this moment where he talks about like, oh, his dad's response was just to like accuse him of not appreciating all they'd done to to raise him. And I was just like, oh, fuck this nonsense. Like, like, support your goddamn son. Wait, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's obviously, I mean, hopefully the the beat to draw this out into is, you know, for others like uh, Nibble and Chloe, for example, or Ken or whoever, who are kind of in a weird, a weirdly depressing place, maybe just having the Kenneteers give a shit and try and help them will be enough to turn shit around for them. Yeah, I mean, that was... It was kind of what we saw with Jess in a way, like Jess just having Zed and, and to a lesser extent Avery mm. got her through mm. um, all of that bullshit that Shelly did. Yeah, um, yeah. So we'll see. We'll have to see how it goes, I guess. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll we'll get to the next part, which is Avery trying to do her best with Sheridan to kind of de-gamer Declan. And it seems to work a bit, but for the wrong reasons, uh, as Grumble remains clueless. Um, I just want to point out to Declan, this this other friend whose name is Amber. Is it Amber? Is that right? Um, yep, yep. Makes games for game jams. Like, she sounds awesome. Declan, you're such a fucking dweeb. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, yeah, you can't not be on board with Avery and Sheridan here. Yeah. Just. Right, oh, like the the Shaden Freud from from this whole section with Declan is just so good. Like he, the moment where he's just sort of like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, Avery. You're so cool," and it's just such fucking bullshit. He's so pathetic <laughs> to such a large extent. Yeah, exactly. And the way he like, yeah, like I, it was just so good to watch him suffer basically yeah. as he as he runs out. And I'm like, I, yeah, I guess I guess we'll say I remain cautiously optimistic that they're going to, uh, yeah, de-gamer him. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, obviously, it seemed to he took he was so engaged with it that he's willing to effectively do what they say. And what they're saying is, "Hey, be less shit." So hopefully, it'll work. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's like hopefully it's that thing where if you just get someone who's shit and you keep incentivizing them not to be shit, you'll just establish the pattern, and then they'll just start doing it on their own because they don't want to be shit anymore. Mm. Like, hopefully, that's how it works for most people. Um, I mean, yeah, we'll see what Amber does to him. Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully she's she has mercy, mm. um, but I wouldn't blame her if she doesn't. Yeah. Um, As an aside, sorry. So these diamond passes, they're like pretty fucking crazy. You, like part of it's like you get to fly out to meet the team or whatever. Like Zed acts like it costs him nothing to get these diamond passes. Yeah, that's broken as hell. Like what? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I didn't realize how powerful Zed was, but he can effectively, seemingly, just get any kind of in-app purchase for free. So. I mean that's high. That's high tier powers right there. Um, but this yeah, diamond like, pass just, is so far beyond that, even. Yeah, like these things would be worth like ten grand. Like, yeah, it kind of reminded me of like a Kickstarter backer reward yeah. of the highest tier for for like a video game company or something, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, and and those rewards are usually like five digits. Yeah, five five grand, ten grand. And yeah. it's like I'm just sort of looking at Zed. I'm like, you could just generate yourself like twenty Bitcoin and then retire you don't need to be a technomancer anymore you just yeah true you have to wonder what what the backlash to that would be though right like 
Well, that's what I'm thinking with the diamond bars. Yeah, they like... seem powerful enough that it's kind of weird that he can just do that without yeah. anything. I don't know. Wait, do these really hold up? Mm. Mm. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, the grumble stuff, I mean, it's being built up enough that it's starting to hurt my soul a bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, on, honestly, though, uh, you never would have thought you were saying this early in the story. How grateful are you that Sheridan was here for this? Mm. Like, there's a moment after it in the kitchen where, like, Avery is literally just starting to process how terrifying that was for her. She's, like, shaking, and Sheridan's just sort of like, are you all right? Mm. Um, you know, she's, she's Sheridan, so she's doing it in, like, you know, one of the most grating ways possible. Um, but, like, I just can't help but love the way Sheridan supports Avery here. Well, yeah, yeah, this moment she's like, I don't care who's miserable, except for you. You whine too much. And it's like, <laughs> okay, well, that's just Sheridan for, just, I yeah. don't want you to be upset. Yeah, exactly. That's Sheridan's compassion, exactly. which is nice. Um, yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, Sheridan in this moment is just kind of proving what Zed said earlier. Like, you just need someone to support you, and it helps. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that this part ends with Sheridan saying, do you think your friend who knows stuff about computers could score me tickets to anywhere that isn't this shithole town? <laughs> Which is so great. <laughs> I, I want Sheridan to become a practitioner. I think she'd be so great. No, because uh, I think Sheridan would suffer from the same problem I have, which is when about 90% of your personality is sarcasm. Wait, you can't turn that off. She get herself gainsaid slash forsworn within about a week. Mm. I know I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I, like my my favorite part of this chapter is actually the very next sentence because like yeah Sheridan asks can can you score me tickets to anywhere that isn't this shithole town and then we get like a section break and then the opening to the next section is the shithole town was sitting on a bus stop bench looking much as he had at the meeting. Mm. I just that like that that's getting my vote for the best transition in this story. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it is a good one, isn't it? Wait fantastic use of the idea of an animus of a town yes um so yeah uh, avery and verona head to chat to ken and get a bit of the lowdown on him yeah and so ken is being guarded by and surrounded by goblins yeah. and then when the kennedys arrive or the two of them he's like oh okay uh you go do your thing just go do whatever goblins do mm. and yeah, like, I mean, obviously we know goblins aren't all that bad, and, like, so much of this story is trying to let it, get us to let go of these preconceptions or whatever, but I was like, I still can't help but notice the imagery of the embodiment of the town being surrounded by goblins and just being okay with them going and being goblins. Yeah. Yeah, it's the fact that he's introduced and it's like, oh, oh, here he is and he's surrounded by goblins is like... You're right. It's a bit worrying. Like the embodiment of the town, he's guarded by goblins. What does that say at a wider level? <laughs> is it saying, yeah. you know, to tie it into what we were saying last chapter, to what you theorized about how the goblins want things to stay how they are? Is it saying like the status quo of this town is being defended by these goblins? Are they going to be the enemy in the final arcs? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like goblins to me still sort of embody this idea of like, uh, you know, it's the sketchy part of town or whatever like you know where they can do more like petty crime like that's sort of you know what what goblins do um and and you know like the warrens it's all grimy and mucky so the idea that like the town is surrounded by you know the denizens of the warrens mm. um doesn't send traditionally good imagery uh past us i suppose mm. 
I, I feel bad for saying this because it's like this is exactly the sort of bullshit that needs to stop. But also, I can't help but notice it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It. Yeah. I don't know. the The whole dynamic of Ken and Kenneth is so wild. Like, the, uh, we touched on this before, but just the idea of having a town and an embodiment of that town and things in, in the interplay between those two entities is just so wild. <laughs> it's so. It's so good. Like. It, like, you know, we're already able to just pull apart every fucking detail about, oh, he was surrounded by goblins when they showed up. What does this mean for the town? Um, like, there's so much to play with, like, with him as, like, a literary device. Um, but, like, we also, like, we go into more of the mechanics of how that works. Like, you know, he sort of says if you injure him with some interpretation, that could happen to the town. Um, so you got to be careful about, like, things like Montague when it comes to Kenneth. Because if he got possessed by Montague, that sort of energy would seep every aspect of the town, which is obviously very concerning. Um, But then also it's like there's not shortcuts. Like you can't just tell him be nice to Lucy or whatever, and then everyone in the town will stop being racist. Like you don't get the convenient shortcuts to good things, just to the bad things. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit unfair, but oh well. It seems (laughs) internally consistent. Yeah, well, because again, it's like, you know, that that would be affecting the innocence, and it goes, like, that's a tube that goes one way, not the other. The innocence affect Ken, but Ken doesn't quite affect the innocence. Mm. Like, his whole vibe, actually, as he sort of spells out here, is what he can do is just, like, smooth the tracks for things that are already happening. Mm. Like, you know, if practitioners notice that there's resistance, uh, then they'll be expecting resistance, and then that means I can send people in to resist them. Yeah. But he can't start anything he has to be reactionary yeah it's weird isn't um, it it's interesting yeah. i feel like i wouldn't be able to accurately predict how the rules for him would apply in a in a combat or fast-paced situation so it's eager i'm eager to see if that's going to happen you know if witch hunters show up or whatever what how is it going to react how are we going to react how is ken going to play into it mm. but it's just it's just such a cursed existence like being someone who's like you know Oh, he could move the Ken to tears when it doesn't matter. But if it actually matters, he can't do shit all. Like, that must piss him off. Mm. I don't know how much Ken has a personality. Speaking of others who may or may not have a personality, but like, like uh, Ken must be frust- as frustrating to be as he is to be around. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I- interestingly, you know, we've we've seen Lucy's first reaction to Ken. We saw Verona's last chapter, and we see Avery's this chapter. He represents just like conservatism and all the things about this town that are just kind of a drag for Avery. Um, yeah. So yeah, none of our Kennedys have a great impression of Ken or the town, <laughs> <laughs> which I think we knew. Yeah, I mean, you know, but it's nice to see it in such a direct and personified, anthropomorphized way. Yeah, true. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I I live in this like the town I'm in. Honestly, I I would believe that Ken would be the embodiment of where I live. Um, like that just about tracks. Like the idea of a lot of people in this town kind of hate that they're still here. Just yeah, resonated mm. a lot. Um, I I really like the moment though where Ken is sort of like I got the impression Lucy doesn't like me, mm. and uh, they sort of explain that this town has been pretty shit to her, and he's like, oh, it's not that bad though, right? <laughs> Verona is like, I think the fact that you're asking that is part of the problem. And I just, 
yeah i mean this is such a great moment because it's like of course ken isn't just racist but like because he's not he's not just the people but he's like the town so of course his racism takes that form of like he doesn't realize how much harder he makes it for lucy like mm-hmm. you could totally see these situations where he he like tries to get the three of them to do something and he just doesn't realize that he the way he framed it made it harder for lucy mm-hmm. um and you know like when challenged on that he'll probably pull pull some bullshit about how like she's just overreacting and you know if she just picks herself up by her bootstraps like things will go fine for her mm. it's a uh, yeah i mean when we first heard about ken i was hoping that we weren't going to get just a an overtly racist character but now i'm i'm kind of wondering if this is worse like because f- mm. for him to be in the story there's going to have to be a kind of implicit like them letting it slide a little bit just so the things can progress you know what i mean um because they can't like change exactly on it like yeah Uh, which is just gonna kind of suck a bit right like (laughs) conceptually yep um so uh, it's gonna be that thing he's gonna keep not realizing he's doing it oh yeah because they can't they can't improve him they can't be like hey ken notice that you're doing this thing he's just gonna kind of forget it yeah, exactly. Like he he talks about that being one of the mechanics as if if they teach him something that the town can't know, he'll just sort of forget it. Mm. So it's just going to be over and over again. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, they they kind of wander around, they come across this campsite and raid it and get some possibly enchanted items. And Ken is very grateful to them and and almost immediately offers gifts. To be fair, though, like I love the way Ken offers these gifts because it's as soon as one of them, well, it's Verona, ironically, mm. as soon as Verona asks him to do a goddamn thing, he's like, oh, do you want that to be a gift? Mm. Like, this dude is a grown-ass man. Well, in fact, he's thousands of grown-ass men. And a literal child asks him to help carry all the stuff he said was great and they should keep. And he's like, oh, well, I mean, you know, is that going to be a gift? Like, you know, I'm not just doing this for free. Mm-hmm. fuck this guy yeah <laughs> just, bit of a jerk um yeah i mean obviously the gifts were like a whole thing sort of last chapter with with how that delivery was done but um yeah like i just couldn't believe that it was like the second they asked him to contribute a fucking thing he's like oh well, is that going to be the gift and, and it, he offers them way better gifts instead mm-hmm. but um again i couldn't help but notice there's this framing where he's like oh um, you know, you don't need to do anything for me because I'm the town and you're you're the practitioners of the town and you're doing a great job. So I'll give you like great gifts. Mm. And I'm like, I can't help but think that he's doing this for the wrong reasons. Like I I like seeing him be like, oh, you guys kick ass. You're great practitioners. I agree with him. But I can't help but feel like the town just defaulting to thinking, oh, you guys are great and I'll give you gifts is, is just like reinforcing like the the solomon system in a way Mm. like they haven't done anything with him to directly prove that they're great practitioners most of their stuff has happened at the blue heron institute it's just like he's just defaulting to you're the practitioners you're great and deserve gifts Mm. yeah i i don't know yeah it's weird like clearly the fact that they've made this deal to protect kennett has left ken kind of quite happy with them right like he's clearly very like on their team uh, even though they don't necessarily want him to be what he is being right now <laughs> uh, it's hard to say like he seems obviously quite clueless he seems like he's a bit nice at heart like i would put him on the same level as characters like matthew maybe ray as well of like 
doing or saying the wrong thing fairly often, but at least trying to do the right thing, you know, like could be much worse kind of tier. But then again, it's hard to say, is that just how he's acting towards these Kenneteers because they are, um, because they are like, they have made this deal. And also obviously not to put too fine a point on it, but the two Kenneteers we have interacting with him are the two white Kenneteers, right? Like what would the dynamic be like if Lucy was here? Who knows? Yeah, I, I think it was a very intentional decision by Wild Bo to not have Lucy at this first Ken meeting, because yeah. I imagine um, Lucy's going to bring a much more direct energy yes. to her uh, talks with Ken. Yeah. Um, so I think it was sort of intentional to show that, like, there's... I mean, because I didn't walk away from this with the highest impression of Ken myself. Like, I definitely thought a bit less of him than it seems like you might have. Mm. Um. Well, it's kind of like either way, I, I think you sort of walk away with this idea of he's not fantastic even when Lucy's not in the picture. Yes. That way we can introduce Lucy and then when it's highlighted, like if he comes out looking even shittier after meeting Lucy, well, yeah, you can kind of be able to point back at this and say, well, it's not like he's perfect even without her. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Lucy's going to come in playing especially hardball, but I think part of that interaction is going to be Ken is going to say some very shitty things and Lucy is going yeah. to yeah. rightfully call him out on them. And that's just... He's just not, he's practically not going to be able to improve, right? I don't know. It's interesting yeah. because it's like, whose fault is this? Is Ken at fault for this? He doesn't choose what the town members are like. I don't know. He's just kind of like a symptom. He's an am, a, an ambulant yeah. system, a symptom of this town. I don't know. Yeah. What What's going to be telling though as well is like how he responds to getting called out. Mm-hmm because that is sort of the modal response you could expect a person in Kennet to have being called out on their bullshit. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I just, I like, yeah, I think, I think it was important that we kind of see that he's not great even without Lucy in the picture, uh, as we sort of build up to, to those two meeting. Um, but yeah, I, I can't help but just get this vibe from him that like, the way he talks about the practitioners of the town being great felt in this very hollow, way of like well that's like just their role more than them as individuals like there was no you did this and that's why you're great it's just you're the practitioners you're doing great like you know fucking out of the box reasoning which i feel like yeah is part of what i want to see go away because if we look at the average practitioner at the blue heron institute i don't think they deserve that kind of praise Mm. 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 yeah (laughs) um yeah, as as we sort of round out this chapter, because um, yeah, they like find the loot and then have this convo with Ken, and the chapter sort of ends. Um, I want to touch on like what we learnt about Lucy here. Um, yeah. Like so, because Verona sort of is like, "Hey, Avery, what the hell was that thing yesterday where you brought up bringing in practitioners?" And Avery sort of goes on this whole thing about how she has all these regrets about when they were talking to Nicolette or with Yadira about how she didn't stand up and those relationships went sourer than they could have um before they were repaired and ava is now reached this point where it's like she's going to voice her opinion more and if other people don't like it that's their issue to deal with not hers mm. and that's just so not the avery who we met at the start of this story like you know explicitly she's talking about the regrets she has from earlier in the story um but she's, yeah, like, her, her part in this journey as we step into the the next part of this story is, like, she's learnt 
that she can't be responsible for how everyone else feels. She just needs to put herself out there and try to be nice to them. And if they don't want to pick it up, then that's their problem. Mm. Um, and that's why she has that moment with Grumble earlier in the chapter, obviously. Mm. Um, yeah. It's yeah. just nice seeing her get that confidence to be able to stand up for who she is. Yeah, it's good to, to see her be, be more proactive about the things that she thinks and kind of knows in her heart are right. And it's it's going to be a strength. It's going to be a boon to the Kenneteers, definitely. Yeah. And it takes me back to that conversation she had with Lucy in like 2.1 or something. It was very early in Arc 2 where um, Lucy's, where they were walking back. Uh, it was like the night after the Hungry Choir. And Lucy, Avery was sort of feeling down and then Lucy gave her that whole speech about how you can't worry what other people think and, and blah, blah, blah. And Avery was like, I don't want to grow up into you. Mm. Um, and what I like is she, she hasn't, she's taken like her own flavor of the same lesson. Like Lucy did kind of use that to grow a bit more suspicious and like, you know, Avery, uh, uh, sorry, Lucy just sort of puts it out there and wants you to prove to her that you can be good before she'll like be nice to you. Whereas Avery puts the niceness out there and gives it back and like just ignores you if you're not going to give it back to her. Mm. Um, I I just really like it as an Avery spin on on what Lucy was trying to tell her to do in two point one. Yeah, true. Good, uh, good, uh, good looking back. Good reflecting. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, and then the chapter ends with Avery thinking, "Hey, this is like when I started at high school." Mm. Uh, but. These are actually founded fears now because these are monsters that might try to kill me. <laughs> it's a good moment. Um, but again, like she, she uses that for drive almost this time. Like she, she's using that. She's like challenging them and saying, I want to bring in allies. She's going out trying to find allies. She wants to fix, fix the social problems here. Whereas like we saw when she joined high school, she just retreated into herself to a damaging degree. Mm. So she's really grown and I can't wait to see where she sort of ends up on this trajectory. Mm, yeah. Um, and that's the end of 9.2. Uh, let's get into 9.3 extra material. Sorry, that was 9.3. This is the 9.3 yeah. extra material. Um, path practicalities. Uh, so Avery takes us through some general thoughts about paths. Yeah, it's sort of a, a big info dump on, on what she's learning about the paths. And, uh, I mostly was just excited because I was like, I miss these Avery doodles. They're so fucking adorable. Mm. Yeah, no, they're good, aren't they? Um, yeah, it's the the doodles are awesome. Um, diving into Avery's notes, it's surprisingly scientific. I mean, you've got this lens of like silly drawings and and weird analogies that is very Avery, but the but the consistency of logic behind the paths and how they work is so wildbo. Like taking kind of tropes and and fantasy slash horror thoughts tying those trips together with a system that feels cohesive and you know consistent within in world logic just great stuff so much fun to read and see how it all kind of fits together yeah like this extra material does a lot to sort of info dump on like bridging the gap between us understanding how these paths and extra spaces are kind of broken and exist outside the rules but how that brokenness actually kind of fits into the rules. Mm. Uh, like stuff like how the boon, like some of the boons here are presented as like the universe just kind of misunderstands what you did on the path. <laughs> yeah. And like levels you up accordingly. Mm. Like it sort of thinks 
like like my understanding from something like the Forest Ribbon Trail is is like Avery comes back and it's sort of like the the universe is like wait she went and did some fucking epic journey of personal growth okay what's personal growth are like ten points that's how bad yeah oh um, she it's like really she, she should have gained these. On this journey of personal growth, she must have gained these skills, these things, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So let's just shortcut her there. Um, and it's like, just because, yeah, like the, the spirits do a bad job of filling in the gaps from the broken pieces, I guess. Like, it's, it's really fun how yeah. we sort of take these places that up until now have been so outside our understanding of the system and kind of, yeah, like, make sense of how they fit with it. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I don't think there's that much to touch on this part because it's it's very much just delivering a bunch of cool information. But it's really great. Go read it if anyone's not reading them. <laughs> I mean, we say this every time. Go read them. They're great. I mean, we'll keep the script. You'll have noticed. I pulled out some things. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I know I agree. This is mostly like a bit of an info dump, so it doesn't super relate to to here. But um, I I really want to touch on the one model part where Avery talks about uh, there was like a family of finders. And they kind of stopped being finders because they figured out this path so well that it became unlost um, and like fell to earth. Mm. And I just love this because you could sort of think of finders or at least I, I have uh, always thought of finders as these kind of like dreamers or like inventors, like they're people going out. If the cosmos of the, of the other verse is like the cosmos of thought and ideas, then like going out to the fringes and to the, the lost parts is like, yeah, working on the very edge of, of current thought. And so I sort of view them as, yeah, dreamers and inventors. And I love this idea that, like, you in, you discover a path is is kind of akin to inventing something. And then if you learn how to turn it into a business, then it stops being a lost thing and falls to earth um, because now it's just part of the system. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did quite like this bit as well. It's just, uh, it's interesting. I mean, like, the idea of the lost... Uh, you know, we it comes so naturally out of the thoughts that um, that the practice is about like paying attention and and care to something, giving it power, right? And then the lost is the kind of opposite of that. But then what happens for finders who are basically people who focus on the things that don't have attention and give them attention? It's an interesting. It's interesting to see an example of how that reconciles. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause, uh, like, because I definitely, I, I felt quite smug reading some parts of this because i had been in discussions on discord about like what the paths and the cosmology of the pact verse was and uh this was very close to the interpretation i'd been pushing so um there was a bit of smugness because it seemed like i was mostly right um and i i really liked how it all just like it felt like these were a lot of pieces i was kind of able to put together because it just does make sense for how like how it's all been presented mm. Mm. Um, yeah but i also think like as well the paths it's not just inventors and dreamers like this is that whole thing where things don't have to be a a metaphor or a direct comparison to one thing like you also get vibes of like how people treat traveling like that whole idea of oh you go out there and like you spend a couple of hours on this path and come back as like a changed person like that's definitely how some people treat like some forms of travel like you go out there and experience this other culture and come back and it's like, oh, you know, I left part of me out there and now I've come back and like I've gained all these new skills or whatever. Mm. I mean, I know none of us have really done much traveling in the past year, but if you go back to the before times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, I also just want to say like 
it seems like humans are doing a really good job of like understanding and, and categorizing like the space like mm. the lost things in general mm. like you can see why others like these prime evils are having so much trouble finding places to hide from humanity like you know remember durashe's one was in this fucking convoluted swamp uh <laughs> space or whatever <laughs> yeah and it's sort of like where humans are growing to this point where you can't even hide on the edge of like reality or what yeah. is known. There's no part of reality in... that is safe for another to be un, you know, uninterrupted in. Yeah, like you know, there are so many theories about how we can go and like I've seen in the fandom about like how the Kandatiers can get missed back and, and blah blah blah, and it's like that's sort of the ultimate proof of this. Like if you can find someone who's lost, yeah, with a capital L, yeah, um, like yeah, where can others hide? Like you know. Humanity really has taken over the entire cosmos of the of the otherverse. Mm. If we're also doing that to to the paths, yeah, it's um, I don't know. It's kind of worrying to an extent that like the, getting missed back. You're right; would be a symbol that there really is nothing that practitioners can't do that to bend the the laws of these systems to their own, you know, to their own whims. Yeah. And like speaking of, uh, like Avery has that list of practices that are like find irrelevant that she's been learning, and like the first one is like the like the Earth Ball. It's like this Pokeball type setup where you throw it at stuff and it stops being lost for a bit. Mm. Um, and like that felt like it had sort of little colonialist vibes to me. Mm. So like, as a finder, you're going into this space that is like all these broken ideas coming together and forming something new. And your mm. response when you don't like it is you just throw an earth ball at it and be like, stop doing weird shit. Yeah, you like, like tie it back down to your rules. Yeah. So stop being, be normal. Yeah. Um, like, it's probably something you have to throw when you when you chuck these balls. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> these earth pokeballs. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't get the impression that's how we're meant to think of them being used, but it totally was how I pictured them being used. Mm. It's just like, little tennis ball sized things you throw at stuff and you yell be normal at it mm. um but yeah like it, it's interesting though because like these little symbols of earth and, and the system can like make lost things just kind of behave when when you're thrown at them like it's compared to how sharon works um it makes me think like you know we're talking about at the moment uh familiarizing snowdrop and avery and this was a discussion we had right when Snowdrop first showed up, which is like, would she lose her lying thing if she becomes a familiar? Because mm. um, I feel like these these balls existing suggests that like she probably would. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I I suspect it would depend on how Avery treats that relationship, right? Surely, like Avery and how actively Avery tries to push back against any kind of like merging of of personality bleed or whatever you want to call it might have an impact there i don't know well I, i'm I'm just thinking like the familiar relationship is this very formal like part of the system thing and it's like like you're bringing snowdrop into the system a lot by doing that yeah true uh in a way like so yeah i don't know like again if you if you view like i, I i've compared the idea of lost to um, like you know illegal immigrants or, or aliens mm. or whatever in the past mm. it's like is this the equivalent of like snowdrop getting like a green card marriage sort of thing like i know that's not what any of them want but it's like she'll be more registered in the system by by becoming a familiar um i would guess maybe maybe there's a transformation on the ritual that they can do to yeah. stop that being the case yeah 
Yeah, interesting. Uh, I wonder. I, I guess we will have to kind of see that to to get that more concretely because I don't think we've seen, you know, we've seen familiars of of the musses, right? But that's yeah, it isn't it. I'm trying to think. Uh, no, there was um, there was the Leos sibling, and they had the Toad familiar. True, who right? Was an, who was an ex like doctor who started being a practitioner and then was a vestige or something? Yeah, uh, yeah. But I guess the point I want to make was for the muscles, especially. It feels like it's like these are others that are bound to their will. It feels a lot more like again mm. colonialist, right? Well, like there was implications that those were familiars of other people who had been stolen. Yes, I guess that bring makes it even stronger <laughs> that sense. <laughs> um. Yeah, so yeah, we'll have to see, I suppose. Um, so uh, next, Avery shares details on this uh, hinted at path, the station promenade, and it's pretty much Crypt of the Necrodancer, right? I mean, like, I think everyone <laughs> had this reaction. It sounds like Crypt of the Necrodancer. Uh, yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I mean, this is going to be great. Like, I, I can't wait for it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's really cool because it feels like a meta path. Like it's a mm. it's a particularly pathy path. It's pulling in others from other paths. It has trains, so it, it almost feels like it's been set up conceptually already as this like central path. Yeah, or a path that is specifically there to travel between other paths as well feels very yeah. apt. Yeah. But it's like did did like I don't think that's how paths work. So it's like like can you use this, say, if you if you find the train to the forest ribbon trail and you stick miss on it instead of the wolf, like I wonder if like, you know, by default when you load it in, it's like the wolf will move towards the train to go to the forest ribbon mm. trail and you like get miss to beat her there. And that's like misses the wolf and yeah, this can be like, yeah, go on. I don't know. I mean, obviously um, part of it was some others were recognized from other paths. So presumably yeah. that is a part of it. I I don't know. But I just, I, I guess I, I got the impression that usually once you're an other in a path, that's that's your role yeah that's that's your role your role um and so this this idea that this one sort of opened up and is like it, it feels metapathy to me because it, that opens up the ability to change other paths which feels big yeah um, i mean it's it could be like you know like we had the idea of an alcazar that allows you to get inside a system and, and actually fundamentally rewrite it maybe that's what this is for other paths like you you have the opportunity to actually tangibly change the way that other paths function to an extent I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Well, like this is why like, I, I've sort of been calling it a meta path because I wonder if part of the glue that is sticking this one together is some findery concepts. Because obviously, lots of finders get lost. Like, so you know, if there's like an idea that a finder has discovered or whatever, mm. and then they all get lost and they don't share it, then like it would make sense to me that there are lots of findery specific things that are lost mm. so like this could maybe be a path that is partially strung together from finder related things and that's why like you know the the idea of traveling between paths feels like a specifically findery thing um aside from miss i don't know that we know many other lost who wander between other paths mm. so how much of this is like it's like a path built on what finders do which like feels like a really fun meta idea to explore Mm. a path built on understanding the paths is cool yeah yeah definitely um and wait wait does it fuck with the rules of paths that would be very fun we we've just learned oh this is the way 
like here are all the rules for paths yeah that we've managed to like deduce and it's sort of like okay now we're going to break those <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's classic for this universe for us to introduce rules just so we can kind of see exceptions to them right so what definitely yeah um, so yeah if this place is built on broken versions of understandings of the paths i think <clears throat> i think that'd be so cool yeah yeah um, but yeah, I mean, presumably we will see this path play out in an Avery chapter yeah. in a little bit, which will be fun in the next, you know, three or four. Um, can't wait for that. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun. Like as we like as we touched on earlier, it's such an Avery path. Like it's mm. one that's crowded with others. Like yep. that's like there's no way Avery goes here and the wolf isn't there. Like it's just <laughs> the wolf. The wolf is going to be there, right? Like yeah. Um, my my hope is that the ballerina from uh mrs interlude is there as well or miss herself theoretically yeah i, I mean miss could be there that almost just feels like it would be feels too easy like yeah or, or too much like i feel like i feel like we have to work to get miss like, yeah. it would be weird if she just showed up there and avery would be like oh yeah get on this train and now you're back yeah <laughs> hey quick i'll use this escape rope while you hug me like you know it just yeah. yeah we'll see i feel like we'll have to like that's why like, the ballerina feels like the person who'll point us in the right direction or something Mm. the wolf i'm sure will just be you know friendly there for a chat mm. i mean what's weird about the wolf being there though is everyone has their own version of the wolf like how does that work yes indeed i don't know the answer to that <laughs> are there multiple wolves mm. is is it like you know how there's like those we got those two gate things set up so you can see does everyone just see a different wolf i can't wait it's gonna be great yeah um we'll have to wait and see uh, because unfortunately, that's the end of our uh, of our bonus material, and that's the end of our discussions. Uh, except for our pale predictions, people that predictions that people have left in our pale predictor spreadsheet, uh, which you can find a link to in the show notes down below. Uh, we pull out predictions that the community is making to see who's going to predict who the murderer is, and all kinds of other things. Um, <laughs> Elliot, do you have any fun predictions that you want to touch on uh, this week? Um- yeah, I've put out like a very long prediction from Loon. Um, so I won't read it out word for word. Um, but basically, uh, Loon is sort of uh, coming up with ideas, by, like, or, you know, sort of, sort of advocate, ad- advocating is the word I was looking for. Uh, advocating for the idea we talked about of like how Avery should bring in other practitioners to help the, the town. Um, and basically, Loon's trying to f- point at someone they've met at the BHI who can specifically help one of the new others in Kennet. Mm. So, for instance, Bree and the Hungry Choir seem like a great thing to pair with the ghouls who are constantly hungry and need food. Mm. Um, like, can you get the ghouls through the Hungry Choir ritual is the exact idea, which mm. isn't a perfect solution to my mind. But like, but it's an interesting um, connection in the very least. Yeah, or, or same like, like Jabba is this alchemist's construction who is being poorly maintained by people who aren't alchemists. And it's like, well, we've got those Leos children that Lucy's mates with. Um, we've got like Talia, the doll maker. Like those seem like great people who might be able to help Jabber if you set up the deal right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Mon- Montague might be a former elemental. We obviously have Sol and his delightful mum. Mm-hmm. Liz, uh, Loon pairs Liz with Fernanda as people who can like share tricks about how to grow into being less of a manipulative piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> that one feels less practitionary and just more like Liz needs some people to point her in the right direction 
you know, personality-wise. To be fair, I, I, that is the vibe I get from Liz. Like, I don't think Liz has problems beyond, beyond... identifying who she is yeah. as an individual. Yeah, true. Um, and, and I actually like Fernanda as a pick for somebody who could pair with that. Yeah. Um, and then Loon also talks about Crooked Rock and maybe something to do with the three Oni majors at the Blue Heron Institute. Yes. Um, yeah. So I mean, there's there seems to be a really common fan theory that Crooked Rook is the Oni that taught those three their tricks, um, which I don't know if I buy into personally, but mm. yeah. But it could um, be. Either way. Definitely. There are some connections it, there, but it's hard to know yeah. if those are just because they're both Oni. That's the, like, a lot of people point to the box-related image. Like, Crooked Rook uses boxes, and the Blue Heron Institute kids, the Oni they worked off was stuck in a box. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's true, but then, like, the whole point of Oni is they're outside the box, so I don't know how much the box imagery is just Oni-related imagery. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, I kind of like the idea of it being a bit, a bit more of a bigger world than there's just this one Oni in Canada, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, no, I really like this this prediction. Um, it's a great... We've been looking for ways that... Like, I think Avery doesn't have a great pitch on why the Ken and others should let practitioners in, but these this gives a number of great pitches for it, and I think they're all very compelling. Yeah, this is a great... Yeah, like, a great way to sort of advocate for what we were talking about with, like, let Avery bring the other practitioners in, because this is how everyone can help each other. Yeah, 100%. I'm sure there's ways these others can help those practitioners as well. Like, that would probably be the other side of this prediction that I'd love to see someone write up. Like, what problems do Blue Heron Institute people have that the practitioners the could others solve. can help? That others could solve, yeah. Yeah, interesting. I wonder. I mean, maybe Liz and Fernando will share tips with each other. Yeah, exactly. Um, I put out a prediction from Lapsed Classicist who uh, predicts that these others hiding in Kennet who, you know, basically they're, they're having a lot of trouble finding, uh, the best way to flush them out will be for Verona to do her domain ritual uh, because that kind of claims an area and has uh, others in the area come to contest it. Um, we even had a, an example from a domain text about a practitioner using their claim as like a bait for others. So uh, I just thought that's a great prediction that could really pan out. Um, yeah, well, so one of the other things from the the domain chapter um mm. that seemed relevant to this is uh there is one line that sort of says uh you can everyone who wants to challenge the claim can so as well as flushing those people out i think the domain ritual will be very fascinating because it's like which yeah. can it others might actually challenge might actually it? want to challenge would the culprits actually challenge it i mean theoretically matthew and edith wouldn't even if they were the culprits <laughs> since they're kind of engineering the situation um yeah but what would that challenge look like? Who would potentially challenge it from uh, from the rest of our group? Maybe the goblins? I don't know. Well, what does challenge it mean? Like, do you have to full-on veto it? Or can mm. you be like, you can have this, but you need to do X for me? Yes. Know? Like, wait, that's the thing. All the Kenneth others might just suddenly come out of the fucking woodwork. It's like, here's, this claim. I'll allow this, yeah. but here's the bargaining chip that I'm going to play. Exactly. Yeah. I can't wait for yeah. the domain. We'll have to see. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, Thank you to to Lapsed Classicist and Loon for leaving those predictions. If you have a prediction and you want to get points for predicting cool things, uh, click the link to the uh, to the form in our show notes below. Um, but that's the that's the show. Thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, yes, uh, please hop into the discussion thread in the show notes down below if you want to 
correct anything we said wrong or, <laughs> you know, if you have any of your own ideas, yep. uh, that's the place to get in touch with us. Yep. Um, you can also uh, check out our Twitter at MediaMD Podcast or just search Pearl Reflections on Twitter and you'll find us uh, where you can see all kinds of neat little things from community interactions, live reads, etc. Yeah, in fact, this episode is a day later than normal. And if you're wondering why that is, we already said it on Twitter. Yeah, so, so check uh, out it's Twitter. your own fault for not following the Twitter. That's where you can get the most up-to-date news about the show. <laughs> uh, yep, don't forget about our website, doofmedia.com. Uh, all the great shows on the Doof Media Network are listed there, including uh, the newest one, Pace. Yes, uh, Pace, the second episode of Pace has recently come out. Third episode's coming soon. And it's really starting to ramp up. I'm pretty thrilled <laughs> with how it's been going. So uh, definitely go and check it out if you want to check out a actual play podcast set in a hypothetical future of the otherverse. Um, yeah. If, if you haven't checked it out already, like episode one, or like, you know, lays all the groundwork. Episode two actually starts running with it. So yeah. uh, now that both of those two are out now, uh, I can definitely say give it those two and that, that's the chance you need to give it. Yeah. Give it a shot. We think you'll like it. Um, but anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you want to support the Doof Media Network, you can go to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia and support the network there. There are a bunch of cool perks that you get access to. And while you're on Patreon, why not also head over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Wildbo, where you can uh, support Wildbo for all the great content that he's making. Yeah, uh, we obviously wouldn't be here without him. Mm-hmm. So on that note, uh, we'll see you all next week for more Shaking Hands. See you, folks. <laughs>